The following sermon is brought to you by New Covenant Community Church, a Bible-based church located on Route 62 east of Johnstown, Ohio. To learn about New Covenant Community Church, visit www.new-covenant.org. Again, that is new-covenant.org. Now, enjoy the message. Uh, if you're in your Bibles, Philippians 1, 27. I'd like to begin with a, a simple story that I heard this week that illustrates well what we see in God's Word, what I hope we will see in God's Word today. Uh, I heard the story of a, of a large game hunter who was in Africa, and he was given the task, he was paid to take out this large male rhinoceros that had been terrorizing the city and terrorizing the different small towns in the rural areas. So he has his large game hunting rifle and he's going through the African bush seeking to hunt down this ferocious animal that had been causing so much havoc. And much to his surprise, as he rounds the bend, he sees this small pygmy man standing on top of this dead rhinoceros. And this man has a large smile on his face. And the hunter, very perplexed by this, holding his large game rifle in his hands, he goes up and he asks the man, did you kill this animal? He says, yes, I killed animal. And he says, well, how did you, how did you kill such, this, such a large, ferocious animal? And he says, I kill it with my club. And the man, so perplexed by this, he says, well, how big is your club? And he says, there's about 200 men in my club. <laughs> now, this is certainly a, a, a silly story that's amusing, but... It illustrates what I believe we'll see in God's Word, which is the joy in unity. We've been in the book of Philippians, and we're, we're going through it in its entirety. And we've seen some things about this book, about the history of it, that God first spoke these words through the Apostle Paul to this church at Philippi. And we know that they had some good things going for them. This church had a love, a love of truth. They had a real growing faith. They were a family together. They were a strong family church together. And even though they were solid in many of these areas, they loved God's Word, all of these things, God was, was continuing to shape them into the image of His Son. He was continuing to work on them even though they had many wonderful attributes of this fellowship of believers. He was, he was training them in this no matter what kind of joy. He was teaching them how to have joy regardless of circumstances that would come. And the way that God did it was He took a man named Paul. A man full of regrets, inadequacies, a man that was physically, literally chained to a wall, yet this man was joyful. And He says to Paul, write to this church at Philippi and teach them about this no matter what kind of joy. And Paul does it obediently. He's inspired by the Holy Spirit of God and he's writing to this church and he's saying we've, these things cause me and you some joy and I'm praying that we all have more of it. The Gospel, the fellowship of it. A love for the truth. Authenticity. Trusting in God's process. Paul's saying these chains that I'm in, they, it's caused the prison guards to have the Gospel preached to them. It's making the preachers that are hearing about this rough situation that I'm in, it's emboldening them to preach the truth of God. And something that you notice about all those things that we've covered thus far that Paul says is are joy-producing things, they were all outside of the situation in which Paul was in. They didn't technically have something precisely to do with his crummy situation. 
What Paul did not do is try to create an irrational reality. He did not try to sit there and think, you know, these blisters on my wrists from these chains, they're not all that bad, I guess. You know, maybe it'll make my skin tougher in the future. He didn't try to create this irrational, illogical thing. He, he, he saw it for what it was, and he says, the things that are causing me joy are not the blisters on me, not the fact that I'm chained to a wall. The thing that is producing joy for me are the things that are outside of the situation, the true realities that are outside of the situation that I am in. And as I thought about that, I really think, you know, I think I might start changing the way that I mentor people and the way that I will carry out counseling meetings here because you, I, in the past, I've, you, people will come to me with all kinds of crises and I'll, and I'll try to rationalize, well, you know, it's not all that bad. It could be a lot worse. And I think anymore, given this principle in God's Word, I'm just going to be like, you know, when somebody comes to me with a terrible issue, I'm just going to tell them, this is terrible. I don't want to be you ever. <laughs> you know, I, I hope I never have your problems. Like, call, it a, call a spade a spade. See it for what it is and, and, and find joy outside of a crummy situation if that's indeed what it is. Now, this idea of finding joy outside of ourselves, finding true godly realities that are outside of us and our situations that bring us joy, this no matter what kind of joy that God was training up this Philippian, Philippian church in, it is completely in opposition of, of what the world does. The secular world today, they, they long for a tangible tidbit of something that makes them feel better. They long for a drink that makes them feel better. They long for something to smoke that makes them feel better. They long for something to eat that makes them feel better. They look for anything that's tangible that can make their inward situation feel better. Uh, we experienced election night this past week, and with the exclusion of politically related Google searches, you know what the mo two most common Google searches were in America? Liquor stores near me <laughs> and french fries near me. I mean, that's, that's what people are using in the world today to make themselves feel better. So unlike booze and french fries that just go away, I believe God's Word has something deeper for us, a joy in unity that I believe His Word tells us about. So let's pray and ask our Lord to open our hearts to His Word this morning. Uh, Jesus, we have we come humble this morning, Jesus. God, it's enough to just breathe in Your presence and Your encouragement. And Father, I believe that we've already felt some of that this morning, an uplifting spirit that we have sensed your joy and your peace, God. And we are broken without it, Lord. We, we say here this morning, willfully saying that we're seeking our peace from you, Jesus. Who it is that you are, what it is that you have done, your great, perfect, inspired word, God. Those are the things that we're putting our faith and our trust in. Let us not seek the devices of this world. Let us be seekers of your truth, I do pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, we should be there now. The truth that we'll uncover, hopefully today, will reveal in a simple statement that we will unveil one piece at a time. Verse 27, it says, Only let your conduct... Be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, 
I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. What God said to this church that he was using Paul to write is that there is a conduct that is worthy of the gospel of Christ, meaning also that there is a conduct that is not worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now call me old-fashioned if you will, but I still think it ought to be preached that there is a worthy conduct for believers and that there is an unworthy conduct that a believer ought not to live through. If a soldier were to, be, to have been given a mission and he's to go and do these certain things and, and there's this great purpose through which he's functioning as a soldier, it would be unworthy conduct for him to be found on the sidelines of the battle with a poker table set up and he's playing cards with his comrades. That, that would not be worthy conduct for the person that he is and the mission that is set before him. If you were to go to a soldier like that and you were to say, what are you doing? There's this mission that's been given to you. A lackadaisical weak in his spirit, non-believing in the mission soldier would say, well, there was nothing written in the orders that were given to me that said I couldn't play poker on the sidelines of the battle. And likewise, some Christians will say, well, there's nothing that says that I can't do this, so therefore I'm going to live this way. There's nothing that says I can't live this way or drink this thing or smoke this thing or do this thing or get this tattoo. So therefore, I'm, there's nothing explicitly saying that I can't, so therefore I'm going to live this way. And I believe, church, that that is the wrong question to ask. That's the wrong way to go about it. The right question to ask is, is my conduct worthy of the gospel? Is it worthy of my blood-stained Savior? Is it worthy of Him being crucified on a cross? Is my conduct worthy of my Savior who was butchered for my benefit? For my saving so that when I trust in Him and not my ways, when I turn from my sin and I look to my Savior for forgiveness that He forgives me, is my conduct worthy of the reality that I believe in what Jesus has done on the cross? And... God's Word, thankfully, tells us explicitly with this understanding of joy that, that God is using Paul to write to this Philippian church about. It tells us explicitly what that is. Look to part B of verse 27. It says, Stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the Gospel. So, church, if we could compress this down into one statement the first part of the statement that we'll unveil this morning we could say stand in unity with one mind and spirit for the cause of jesus everyone say for the cause of jesus with me ready set go for the cause of jesus it's worthy conduct to be in one unity, mind, spirit, cause of Jesus. That's a worthy conduct. Living for something else is not a worthy conduct. It would not be worthy conduct for the soldier to play cards on the side of the battlefield. It would not be worthy conduct for the other pygmy men to not help defeat this rhinoceros that has been terrorizing the towns. It would not be worthy conduct for a Christian to come in with the primary agenda of having the decorations in the church the way they want it, or the building to look a certain way, or the type of music that we sing on Sunday morning, or the types of programs that the church offers, or the face that the church has in the community. That, that is not the singular cause that we're given. We're given the singular cause of Jesus Christ. If you believe that, say amen. That's our singular cause. We're to stand in unity with one mind, one spirit for the cause of Jesus. 
Now, just to be transparent with you as a pastor, uh, when I first came to New Covenant Community Church and there were, on an average Sunday, say 40 or some odd folks, uh, this standing in unity with one mind and one spirit for the cause of Jesus was quite a bit easier. You have 40 people in a room and getting them to rally around the cause of Jesus is, is an easier task with fewer people than there are more. The church has grown exponentially since then, averaging somewhere close to triple that number a year from a year ago. And there are differing opinions in this room right now. There are differing tastes and preferences that, if not careful, will become the golden calf upon the altar that we're worshiping if we don't keep Jesus as the central cause around which we are unified. So as I said earlier, and I'll say it again, that was exciting, whatever that was. I'll say it again, is that I love you all very, very much, and you know my heart as a pastor to love the people, but I'm going to henceforth, and I've already been doing this, but just to be completely transparent with you, I'm going to do my very best to not care about what any of you like, <laughs> okay? I mean, it, we, it's, it, I, I guess, I mean, you, you see what I'm saying, it, it, our, the central focus must be Christ. And don't think that we are any less prone to build a golden calf than the Israelites were. That same heart that was in them is in us today. So let us be steadfast, church, in making Christ our central goal. The, the reason that we are unified together in spirit and in mind. Be like the pygmy folks that 200 men collectively were on the same mission. Be like the soldier that's, that's not seeking to do the lackadaisical thing, but is staying steadfast on the mission. Be a group of Christians together, church, this morning. Be a group that is unified for the cause of the gospel. We ought to stand in unity with one mind and one spirit for the cause of Jesus. And now, if you would please look to verse 28. And it explains to us why this is a joyful thing. Why this unity that we can have in one mind and one spirit for the cause of Jesus, here's, here's the result of it that God gives us in His Word. Look to verse 28. And not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which to them is proof of perdition. So I hope you have a Bible right now because I'm going to be paraphrasing over the next couple minutes. Which to them is proof of perdition. For someone to be an adversary of the church, it's proof of their judgment. Okay, moving on. But to you of salvation, when you're a group of believers and there's persecution coming against you clearly, it's proof of your sonship in God's kingdom. And moving on. And that from God. This salvation and judgment are both from God. Verse 29. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. So don't forget the first part, church, that, is, that the reason that this is a joy-producing thing is because that we cannot in any way be terrified of our adversaries when we stand in unity with one mind and one spirit in Jesus. So the addition that we can add on to this statement is that we could say stand in unity with one mind and one spirit for the cause of Jesus. Doing such decreases fear of the enemy. Doing such decreases fear of the enemy. There are some fears among the church today. I'm fearful today that we would become like many at the love growing cold. We know this 
of the redemptive history plan that we see in God's Word, that the love of many will grow cold, that there will be many people who will just, they'll just go find a teacher that, that tickles their ears and they hear what they want to hear and, and not the conviction of God that brings them. But, and I'm scared to death that we'd become that kind of church. I'm scared to death that, that, that I would become a preacher that is just like this feel-good message, everybody just do what you want to do. Like, I'm scared of that. But you know what, you know what silences some of those fears for me? is because some of you men would come into my office and grab me by the collar with one hand and hit me with a Bible with the other if I ever did that. And that brings me a lot of peace, knowing that, that, that you have my back spiritually, that people do feel comfortable with that because they've done that. And it's been a great blessing to my ministry knowing that, that men will come to me not with an opinion and a preference, but with the Word of God. We open it together and we both humble ourselves and then truth is moving forward. I love it. Many churches today are fearful that they will lose their tax-exempt status. Do you know that if most people gave with a joyful heart, and I'm just going to assume that a joyful heart means a certain amount, if people collectively, even in churches that had large debt requirements, which this church does not, but if that were the case, if people just gave joyfully out of their income, most churches, most every church I've ever known or seen or been in or anything, churches could lose their tax-exempt status and it wouldn't mean anything. They would still continue to minister, still continue to feed hungry people in the community, still be able to take care of widows and orphans, still be able to do all those things. When there's a collective unity, one mind, one spirit for Jesus, it decreases the fear of the enemy. Just this past week, there was a third-grade girl in Mississippi who wore a mask to school and it said, Jesus loves me, across the front of her mask. Uh, they forced her to take it off and threatened to expel her from the school based on those words, Jesus loves me, across the mask. I mean, that's what we're facing today. And I, I don't know their faith situation, but I certainly hope that they've got a church that's rallied around them. I hope that family doesn't feel like they're this island, like their church is standing back and they're here by themselves facing this horrible situation. Students walk in wearing all kinds of stuff written on their masks, but somehow Jesus loves me is horrifically offensive to the world today. I hope their church is rallied around them. I hope that family doesn't feel alone. I hope, I hope they feel this, this unity, one mind, one spirit for the cause of Jesus, and I hope they're feeling the decreased fear of the enemy. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 12, it says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion, but woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Stand in unity, church, with one mind and one spirit for the cause of Jesus. It will decrease the fear of the enemy. Do you believe that? Say yes. Let it always be true for this fellowship of believers. Now, if you would, please, look to, we're in Philippians chapter 2 to verse 1. And some people have said to me, well, Pastor Ben, when we're going through a book in its entirety like this, shouldn't we go verse by verse by verse? And my answer to that is no. And the reason is, is because when you open your Bibles and you see these chapter numbers and these verse numbers, those were not added until the year 1551 by a person named Robert Stephanus. And, and certainly those things help us. They help us see, help us find the same scripture and all those things. But when I'm interpreting scripture, I try not to see the chapter and the number, but see the flow through which God inspired his holy word through the apostles to the church. And rather than going verse by verse in number, going flow of teaching by flow of teaching 
which brings us in this same train of thought to Philippians 2. So I know you need none wanted to know any of that, but it's what you get for having a pastor that's went to seminary and learned things that I guess are kind of useless at some points. But anyway, um, Philippians 2, verse 1, it tells us the next thing, the next result of standing in this kind of unity. Here's the next thing that happens. Therefore, God says to the church at Philippi through the Apostle Paul, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness. Everyone say the word lowliness. Everyone say the word humility. Everyone say the word meekness. But in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. So what's the true result, church, of standing in unity, one spirit, one mind for the cause of Jesus? Is this something that I can address? Sorry? That better there. All right. The results that it brings about, church, is first, decreased fear of the enemy, which we've seen. And the second thing that we see made clear, it says that if each of you, Paul says, my joy would be fulfilled if each of you would look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So, we should stand in unity with one mind and one spirit for the cause of Jesus, doing such decreases fear of the enemy, and lastly, to finish this statement, and uplifts those around you. It uplifts those around you. Paul says, here are the godly realities. The godly realities that are true, that are outside of my situation, that are joy-producing. The gospel, your love for the truth, authenticity, the word being preached to the prison guards, guards, Preachers becoming bold. He's saying, and my joy is fulfilled. It's completed. It's almost as if he's saying the closest to heaven that you can get when this joy is fulfilled is when you stand in unity, one mind, one spirit, for the cause of Jesus. You have a decreased fear of the enemy, and you have this uplifting of those around you. I just think maybe that perhaps Paul was thinking of Acts chapter 4. He was thinking of the early church where it says in Acts 4, 32 to 35, it says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there any one among them who lacked for all who were possessors of land and houses sold them and bought with the proceeds the things which were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet 
and they distributed to each one, each as anyone had need. Perhaps Paul is thinking to himself, the, the fulfillment of joy, the closest to heaven that you can get is that you're together in this unity for the sake and cause of Christ, decreased fear of the enemy, and an uplifting of each other. If there was someone you know in this church that were struggling financially or struggling in sin or struggling in addiction or something in their marriage or relationships, what would you do for them? Because if you're like this pastor, I mean, perhaps you've even been generous to the point where you've given large sums of money. Perhaps you've been the type that's written checks with, some, with a comma in it. Perhaps that's been you before. But have you been like Acts 4? Have you, up, have you, have you looked at others as better than yourselves? Have you, have you walked into the room as the most educated person there and still thought these people are better than me? Has, has the mind of Christ become yours in that way that, that you don't need any of the people around you, that you have this power inside of you, but that you willfully, you don't consider it robbery to lowly, willfully humble yourselves to those around you? I was in the woods recently and I saw this tree that was, it was almost dead. It wasn't dead quite yet, but it was almost dead. And it was a small one. And it was weakening, as you might imagine, and, and it was leaning, and not just a little bit, it was leaning a lot, like, like abnormally a lot, but it hadn't toppled to the ground yet. And, and with the angle of this lean, it should have fallen over a long time ago. But you know the reason that it didn't is because there was another tree, a large, very large, very healthy, very much alive tree that was very close by. And the roots of this very large, very healthy, very strong tree, the roots of it had grown up and encapsulated around this other tree that was weakened and dying, and it was still holding this other tree up. And as I thought about it, I thought, man, what a great picture of what Jesus did. This great strength. You know what this tree needs, the one that's dying? You know what it needs? It needs a tree that's willing to be close to it. But it also needs a tree that's really, really strong, one that's really, really alive. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He allowed himself. He was in the world, but not of it. What was on the culture and the darkness that was on the people was, did not get on him, but he allowed himself to be close to the woman at the well and the woman with the alabaster flask and, and Zacchaeus and all the people that he so lovingly, humbly served in this way. And just to be clear, church, I, I don't, I've never bought and I don't ever intend to buy the notion that many people are buying today that, that to win the world, you've got to be like them, that you've got to look like them, talk like them, dress like them. And all that. I, I believe that that's a lie. I believe that the way that people are, what the, what, the, what the weak, dying ones among us need is something that's strong, something that's willfully close, but something that's strong. If people are going to be one, it's not going to be by the church looking like the world. It's going to be by the church looking like the church. If you believe that, say amen. So we must, we, we must be in the world, but not of it, church. We must seek to uplift those around us, both in and outside of the church. To stand in unity with one mind and one spirit for the cause of Jesus, decreasing our fear of the enemy and uplifting those around us. Be like the group of pygmy men that are collectively for the same goal, taking out the foe. 
being like the soldier that's on target and on the mission of what it is that they're called to do. They've got a worthy conduct. They don't have an unworthy conduct for who it is that they are, the training that has been invested in them, the equipment that they're carrying with them. They're, they're, they're acting worthy of the cause that's before them. Be the Christian that that's, has, a, has a conduct worthy of the gospel, one that's united for the purpose of Christ and not that of our own agenda. We see that God's word finishes here in verse 9. Not that God's word finishes, but this peace, this flow of teaching that is inspired by God's Holy Spirit. Look to verse 9, if you would, which is simply a reminder of the nature of our Lord and the person of our Savior. It says, therefore, God also has highly exalted him, him being Christ, and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and of those in heaven, and of those on the earth, and of those under the earth, that at the, that, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. We ought to stand joyfully, church, joyfully in this unity, with one mind and one spirit for the cause of Jesus, decreasing the fear of the enemy, which that fear is increasing in the hearts of many, and uplifting those around us. Not for a showy sake, not for, because this is the result of having stood together in unity, not this exercise of like, oh, i got to go find somebody that's hurting to go help them. No, simply doing it because you're standing together in unity for the cause of Jesus. You've got the mind of Christ such that you want to lower yourself and see someone else lifted up, even if they don't deserve it, even if they're less educated than you, even if they're this, this lowly person that the world would just throw out. Uplift them. Humble yourself like Christ. Let the same Christ that is in you be the one that was in Christ. I'm just going to ask this question, and we can come to the music at this point. If, if you feel like you need or will need less fear of the enemy, if you feel like you need currently or you will need in the future to be lifted up, if you're in either one of those camps, I'm just going to ask you to stand right where you are. I appreciate the honesty of those who have stood up. Would the rest of you join us in standing, I pray. Let us be humble to the point that we're willing to be close to the tree that needs help. Let's be unified in this gospel. Let it produce a joy in us when we're unified together that we've never experienced before. I need that. My family needs that. I'm not in this special category because I'm a pastor. My family needs that. And I want to humble myself to the point of being in God's family in such a way that's so united. I'm glad to be in God's family. Are you? If you are, say yes. And hear me clearly this morning, dear friends. You are not in God's family by hearing me preach. You are not in God's family by coming to this church, you are in God's family through and only through the precious blood of Jesus that was shed on your behalf. Something that you never deserved. Something that you have not nor could ever earn. But a free gift that is yours to have when you repent and trust that Jesus is the Savior who did exactly what he said he would do. Let's pray together.
Father, of all the things that we could be, let us be humbled. Of all the things that we could be to those around us, be they in this church or not, of all the things that we could be to them, let us be a blessing. God, I, I have not found it within my heart to walk into a room and to see others better than me. God, would you forgive me of that? Would you make my mind more like that of yours, Lord? My pride scares me sometimes, Jesus. I, I need you to humble me, to, to make it such that I, I really can traverse through this world in the world but not of it let it be true for all of us this morning as we move forward in time in Jesus name we all say together